This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. This episode is sponsored by The Latte Co. If you follow me on social media, you'll know that I make Milo smoothies all the time and I'm always putting a powder in them. That powder is created by The Latte Co. It is 100% plant-based. They have a baby latte, which is for 12 months and up, and then a kiddo latte, which is what Milo is using right now, which is for 24 months and up. You can put the powder in just water, you can put it in smoothies, you can even throw it in baking. It's made with organic, whole food ingredients, it contains more calcium than cow's milk, has a huge range of vitamins and minerals, it is gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, and it is nut-free. I'll just read off some of the ingredients here. So hemp hearts, pea protein powder, grinded flax seeds, beetroot, green cabbage, kale, broccoli, tomato, pumpkin. I mean, it goes on and on. I consider this stuff my secret weapon and it's so nice to give Milo a smoothie that has this powder in it and I know that he's getting a bunch of nutrition. The awesome people at The Latte Co. would like to give you guys 10% off and free shipping on your first order with the promo code THEMOMROOM10. You can find the link in the episode notes or you can simply go to thelatteco.com. I cannot recommend this stuff enough. So remember, it is promo code THEMOMROOM10 for a 10% discount and free shipping www.thelatteco.com. So today I am talking with Liesl, who is a labor and delivery nurse. She has two young children of her own, right? Yes. Yes. And five, five months old. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. You had a really young one. Yeah. So (laughs) a really, a really little one, a fresh, (laughs) a fresh baby. Fresh. Yeah. There you go. That's a good descriptive word. (laughs) Yeah. And she is the creator of mommy labor nurse, which is an amazing Instagram account. So much information on there. She has a podcast, a website where she offers courses and tons of information with regard to pregnancy and postpartum. And she also started to creep up on my TikTok for you page, which made me really excited. Uh, Maybe that'll be my first question for you. Do you love TikTok? And when did you get into that? I do. I do love TikTok. I, so I just, I've had a love, I still kind of have a love hate relationship with it, but I have more of a love than a hate relationship with it. Now it's always been on my back burner of like, you know what? I feel like this is probably a, the perfect platform for me. Cause I like to already like make people laugh and be silly and I could just get really creative on here. And then finally I was like, you know what? I got some time. Let me do some, some investigating on Instagram and see what people are doing on there and start making some videos. So yeah, that's my new thing that I'm on TikTok, and it's nice. Cause you can post the, the same kind of videos on reels too yeah. on Instagram and reels are just kind of taking off on, on Instagram that, so what we've, that's what we've seen. Um, so we're just kind of trying to do both, but yeah, no, I've, been following you for a little bit too. So oh, I see good. you on my for me, for you page <laughs> on your, nice. your TikToks, but yeah, it's, it's been crazy. Like it's, it's so crazy to the amount of growth that you can get with like one really mm. good video. Yeah. <laughs> like it just like 
people are like, oh, okay, I'm going to go follow you. <laughs> exactly. TikTok oh. is a different beast than Instagram yes. for sure. For and sure. I, I'm always fascinated by the amount of information that people can put into a little 15 second video. And you're like, wow, oh my gosh. that, that just changed my life. That TikTok just yeah. changed my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And it's, they're actually easier. Well, it depends on what, I mean, some of them, I'm sure people spend hours and hours and yeah. hours on, and hours on, of course, but in terms of the stuff that we produce, like with a feed post that takes a lot of time to like, okay, how are we get, you know, thinking about, okay, how are we going to do the post? Okay. We got to, if we have to, you know, get objects and take picture of objects, we're going to, you know, take these pictures. Okay. Liesl has to come in, you know, to the office with her like nice white background and take a picture of her. And then I have to <laughs> edit the picture and figure out this and that TikTok is a little bit more like laid back. You can yeah. kind of just do videos at your house or, I mean, sometimes, you know, I'll do them here at office, but yeah, it's just, a, they're a little bit easier from what we've seen to produce, which is yeah. nice. <laughs> and your captions too. That's like a mini like research oh my paper gosh. basically. <laughs> and TikTok does not allow you to have big, long captions. It's like a, an emoji yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Exactly. Yeah, no. And, and we've seen too, with Instagram, they like really long, you know, worthy captions, which is good. Um, but yeah, it takes a long time, but yeah, not TikTok. TikTok is like, nope, you're going to, it's more focused on the video and here's yeah. a, here you, you can post three words. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, okay. So you have a five month old, you said, yep. Yeah. And how old is your first child? Yeah. So he'll be four in February. So, he's, okay. so that's a good little age. I got, it's about three and a half years, which is a good little, little age gap I got. <laughs> totally. And yeah. so I was curious what your, because you give us so much information with regard to pregnancy and birth and labor and delivery, what were your experiences like having your children? Did they differ? They were, they were somewhat similar. So my pregnancies, I would say were similar. Um, I, enjoyed being pregnant the first time more so than I did the second time, just because mm. I had another child to take care of. And you I just feel like you're just more tired. Um, but yeah, they were, they were somewhat similar. I, I didn't find out, um, the gender of both of my children, which was cool. Didn't know I was having boys both times. And that was, you know, a fun little thing. And second <laughs> time definitely drove me a lot more crazy, just not knowing it wasn't nearly as bad the first time. Um, so yeah, didn't know the gender. And then as far as like the birth experience, I didn't get epidurals both times, which was my plan both times to try and avoid an epidural. If I could, my first one, I was in labor for about 20 ish hours, something like that. Got to the hospital both times. I delivered at the hospital that I work at, um, which was a great very, very fulfilling, awesome, amazing experience. So did you know everybody? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Which some people are like, whoa, like why would, that's kind of weird to have people all up in your junk, (laughs) you know, that like, you know, um, and we definitely, I definitely work with nurses who share that philosophy and say like, I, you know what, I think I'm going to go to like a different hospital or, you know, like I I don't just don't want to mix the two, but yeah, with me, I would say the majority of the time, 
most nurses that I work with deliver at our hospital. I felt like an overwhelming sense of comfort because I knew, because I did know everybody and I, and I felt good about the providers who were taking care of me. I handpicked my, both my nurses who took care Mm. of me both times. So it was just a very good, you know, empowering, fulfilling experience. So both times. So with Walter, yeah, uh, didn't get an epidural with him labored for probably like total, probably 20 ish hours was in early kind of latent labor for a long time at home. And then I finally got to the hospital in the evening time. And I got like a couple doses of IV pain medication, tried nitrous oxide, didn't, didn't like that. And then progressed just like a normal kind of labor pattern. You know, I pushed for not very long, 30 minutes or so with him and pushed him on out and felt like a total bad ass yeah. afterwards. <laughs> I bet. Um, because that was, because that was, you know, my goal to try and not get an epidural. And I felt, you know, really like fulfilled that I was able to do that. You know, fast forward to Ryland with my second kind of went into it with the same mentality of like, I've done it once before. I, you know, I'm going to try and do it, do the same thing again with him though. It was weird that it was like way harder the second time. Yeah. And I was hoping that it was going to go a lot quicker, which it did overall, like his labor, his total labor was only about eight ish hours. So overall it was a lot quicker, but the intense part was longer. So I stalled at like nine and a half centimeters for like an hour and a half to two hours right before I had him, which was not fun. I pushed him on out. Once he, once we got past there, I pushed him out in like 15 minutes, which that was fine. But that stalling was mentally, so mentally, mentally hard. And so physically, physically hard that I was like, Ooh, (laughs) I still feel like a badass, but Ooh, that was real hard. (laughs) struggle. So yeah, I was on the struggle bus, but yeah, both times had amazing nurses take care of me and can't say any, anything bad about both experiences other than the fact that it was, you know, insanely painful, Yeah, but yeah, very, very good. But I would say, you know, overall, like similar ish experiences. Do you find, because you're so knowledgeable about labor and delivery and you've experienced it in your work so many times, Do you find like when you were in the position to give birth, can you easily gather all that information that you know, or do you find that you're, you know, in a cloud and you can't access all the information? Just with, with my second birth with Ryland, I was able to use the same stuff that I teach people up until I was like starting to stall. And then I was like, I I have no brain cells right now. Like I can't think about anything, (laughs) but I feel like I was trying at least to utilize, you know, the relaxation stuff that I teach about breathing techniques, all of that good stuff. Um, I put a lot more emphasis this time, something that I learned from my first birth is to prep my husband. Um, Uh, because my husband went into the first time saying, Oh, my wife's a labor and delivery nurse. We're not going to take any you know, I don't have to really read up on anything. I'll just trust whatever she says. And he was completely blown away at everything that went on. So, and he had, you know, a little bit of PTSD as a result of like watching me go through that immense amount of pain, which that's something that I also always tell people who are pregnant looking to, even if you're not getting an epidural, like make sure your partner knows at least a little bit of what the heck is going on because yeah. yeah, it's important to educate them as well. So going into the second one, yeah, I definitely put a lot more emphasis in teaching him stuff and just teaching him 
what I needed. So I know I'm the kind of person that I react really well from like positive affirmations. Like, okay, Brian, I don't need you to be all up, you know, touching me, like doing a lot of counter pressure, doing this and that, like my nurses can help me with that. Cause they know how to do that really, really well. Just be in my ear and telling me that I'm like doing a really, really good job and be really sweet to me. And that's like all I need. And that's exactly what he did. And like, it makes me emotional thinking about it because I think he was just such a great, you know, did such a great job the second time. A great um, birth partner. So, Have you heard of yes. the book, the birth partner? Yes. Yes. So great, good. Great, great book. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. in our, our resources as well in, in our classes. So yeah. Yeah. But very, um, I forget what the original, I feel like I went on a tangent. I forget what the original question you asked me. Oh, it was, yeah. <laughs> accessing information. I was like, I don't yes. know either. <laughs> oh yes. Yes. No, I feel like I did do a good job. Like I said, up until I was starting to stall, um, utilizing my stuff and utilizing my tips. Um, but yeah, once you, once I hit that crazy train of like, mm. I can't do this anymore. It was like, I just, you know, you just completely lose control and you tense up at every contraction. You're just like, I can't do this anymore. I'm like screaming my head off sort of thing. So, but that's, I mean, I feel like anybody would yeah. have done that in that position. No, for so. sure. After having two children, do you find that has affected your work as a labor and delivery nurse? When you think back before you had children and yeah. how you behaved as a nurse or things that you did, do you think it changed at all? I do. Yeah. I think okay. it, I think it bettered my practice at like you know, full, full, like, absolutely. Yeah. With my first one, I had a lot more empathy for people. Not that I didn't before, you know, I would still take care of my patients just with empathy in mind. But once you feel those contractions and once you push mm. out a baby and once you feel that postpartum recovery, yeah, you have a lot more empathy for somebody who's like about to do the same thing that you just did. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would say it definitely, definitely bettered my practice. I was able to support people a little bit better just because I just had the personal experience to kind of go along with it. That's not to say, I mean, I work with tons and tons of nurses, like experienced nurses who don't have children who are like phenomenal labor and delivery nurses. I mean, there are some people that say that, that you can't oh. be a good labor and delivery nurse unless you've had kids and like experience it yourself. And that i certainly don't agree with, but yeah, I would say just me personally going through the experience. Yeah, for sure. Better yeah. practice. When I think about times that I've been in the hospital and nurses are taking care of me, there's no way that they've been through what I was just yeah. gone through, but they are phenomenal. And I, yeah. I was like, Aww. wow, nurses. <laughs> Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, 
I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Lil Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. What, at what point did you decide to start Mommy Labor Nurse and what motiv- motivated you to do that? Yeah, so I was, Walter, my oldest, was a little less than a year when I started to get the idea of it. Before I had him, I was working night shift at the hospital full-time, three days a week, three 12-hour shifts, which is typical of like a full-time, you know, 36 hours a week nursing position. And then I had him and I came back day shift and I came back almost full-time, but not quite full-time. It's called three-quarter time. And I, you know, love my job, loved being a nurse at the hospital, but I just every single day that I left, I'm like, I just want to not go. I'm like, I want to stay here with my baby, you know? Mm. So I was like, okay, you know, how can we make this work financially where Liesl maybe can drop to part-time or like part-time weekends so I can stay, you know, so I don't have to work full-time like money's sake. So I started to just do, I think what a lot of people do and just kind of Google look on Pinterest of like, how do you make money? at home, you know, (laughs) a couple extra hundred dollars a month. So like I can, you know, stay at, you know, supplement a little bit income so I can drop part-time. So I started to do that. You know, you go through all the hoops of like, okay, should I start selling Avon or should I start like doing Mary Kay? You know, like you, you look at all these, all these options. Um, and blogging popped up and I said, Oh, you know what? I do like to write. I do have this knowledge of labor and delivery stuff. And I'm like, 
there's a lot of mommy blogs out there, but there's not a lot of mommy blogs that are like by yeah. labor and delivery nurse. There's a few, but there's not a whole lot. So I was like, this is really cool. This is a really cool idea. So I worked on it for, and gosh, it wasn't even called mommy labor nurse back then. I worked on it for a few months and launched it. It was February. My, my son was like, right. Cause his birthday's in February. So it was right about a year um, when he was a year old and launched my website and launched like just very basic social media, like a Pinterest page and like a Facebook page and an Instagram, but I wasn't doing anything that I am now. I didn't have yeah. courses or anything. It was just, I'm just trying to get articles, information out there, you know, get some ads up on my website so I can make a couple bucks a month. <laughs> so I can like say that I'm doing something, making a little bit of money on the side. So, um, so yeah, I got that up, did that for a few months of the Pinterest kind of thing and trying to get traction on Google. And, and then probably it was October ish of that year, September, October. And I took an Instagram course. Cause I had always loved Instagram as a platform. I just didn't, I wasn't really using it the right way. And I just didn't really have a grasp on how to like share information on there. So I saw this course and I was like, let me take this course to get, you know, get a little bit more knowledgeable, change my name to mommy laborers, change, like just kind of the style of my pictures and how I share information. And yeah, got some traction, got like a few good viral posts and, you know, got like a, a ton of followers from those. And then it just kind of snowballed. And yeah, now we're, I don't even know, we're 328, 327,000 followers, something like that. So, I mean, that was when I changed my name to mommy labor nurse, that was 2018, I want to say. So, I mean, wow. that's, that's, you know, and I only had probably 5,000, 6,000 followers or something at that point. So, so it's been, it's been pretty crazy, yeah. Um, but yeah, well, the got, course was worth it. <laughs> yes. Yes, for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, just kind of fell in love with Instagram, got my feet wet on Instagram. And then, yeah, eventually you start, it's like, okay, how can I really market this? Okay. Let's put together a birth course and another birth course. Now I have a newborn course and I have my podcast that I do. It's just like, how are all the different ways, all the different angles that you can share information mm. now it's TikTok too. Exactly. <laughs> so do you still work as a nurse in the hospital? I do. Can you believe okay. that? Wow. I, I, no, I fit can't. that in my schedule too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that was really something that was really important to me to keep up for now. At least it makes sense. Um, so what I do is I'm part-time weekends. We call it casual, but I try to work on the weekends if I can. So I do two shifts a month. So it's okay. really not anything crazy. I can fit it well into my schedule. And it's just enough to where it doesn't really even feel like work. I'm like going and seeing my coworkers, yeah. which is nice. And I get some social interaction action and I get to be at the bedside, um, which is fun, you know, nice. And it, it's a nice like balance of the yeah. stuff that I do here for mom and labor nurse. And then, you know, doing patient care at the bedside. Yeah, of course. That is a great balance. At first I was like, don't tell me she's not working full-time or like Heck no. <laughs> full part-time. Oh my gosh. That would be rough. <laughs> uh, so something that I saw when I was looking at your Instagram page that I wanted to ask you about was that the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, I'm in Canada, so it's different yeah. for us, but yeah. they released guidelines to improve postpartum care for women. This is huge. Like I have so many episodes with pelvic floor physios and people that 
you know, yeah. give healthcare to postpartum women. And this is such a huge problem. Um, this idea that the six week checkup is just kind of telling you, okay, good. You're good to go. So yeah, I was shocked when I saw that post on your Instagram and I thought you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. It's, t- I mean, it's tough because they made that statement. I don't even know when it was. Uh, let's see when this, I have it pulled up 2018, April of 2018. They made that statement that basically instead of it being just a single visit, it needs to be like an ongoing process. And you also need to have contact within the first three weeks. Everybody mm-hmm. has to have contact within the first three weeks. And then instead of just saying, okay, let's schedule a six week visit. It's more of a process of like, okay, what's going on? What are the other healthcare providers that we can get involved? Maybe one being like a pelvic or PT, which also big fan of those people Oh yeah, <laughs> because love I've those utilized, people. yes, love those people. <laughs> big shout out to them. Um, cause I've utilized th- that service, uh, a second time now after mm-hmm. giving birth the second time, which, which is awesome. So yeah, that's what they said. That was their statement. Now it's going to take a long time to get that to where it's like standard practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, my hope is that we're evolving to where it's more of like it is now I don't know about Canada and what postpartum care looks over there but at least like in the UK it is more of a process afterwards where you're having a lot more people see you you're having a lot more scheduled visits you're having a lot more calls checking in because think about when you're pregnant you see constant you're yeah you're seen all the time and then all of a sudden Bye. See you later. One six week visit. Um, maybe we'll help you out in the hospital when you're at the hospital, but then once you get home, it's like, okay, here are some resources. If you, you know, that you can call, but nobody's really checking up on you. And it's tough here in the United States because we do have such a big country and there are so many different types of practices. I think it's a big insurance issue too, Mm -hmm. but with that said, it is good that ACOG recognized they're like, we're not doing this the right way. <laughs> yeah. So like we need to fix it. So they made that statement and I think it's slowly, you know, practices are starting to slowly change their ways and have more resources. Like first off that they can recommend to people, like I'm giving it the pelvic floor PT as, as a big example, but like a pelvic floor PT lactation, lots of other resources under their belts, like as providers that they can give out to their patients. But yeah, definitely still have a ways to go, which, and I think COVID has had a huge impact Mm. on everything. I mean, yeah, you can go on and on about how COVID has impacted so much crap, but yeah, (laughs) but it is good that they've at least recognized that they're not doing it the right way. And we need to change this up (laughs) for sure. I put out a TikTok a while ago and it was about pelvic floor physio and someone commented on the TikTok. Well, of course there's people that have that commented, what's a pelvic floor physio? And I was like, Oh, like this is a problem. But then there was someone, I think she was from France and she commented saying, after we give birth in France, we automatically have 10 pelvic floor physio visits. And I was like, Oh my God, what is this world that you live in? Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? And it's so sad that that's so like, whoa, you know, like that should be how it is. Yeah, That should be how it is. My pelvic floor PT, what she told me is think about if you broke your arm. 
Okay. You would need to go get physical therapy for a little yep. while rehab because it's broken. It's re mm. yeah. It needs, it needs rehabilitation. Yes. It's like you just did a lot to it down there. It needs some time. It's not just like you just leave it alone. And, and there it, she's like, if people were more proactive on the front end of getting care, pelvic floor PT after giving birth, we might not have a lot of these issues when you're 50 and 60 years old of people mm -hmm. having issues peeing their pants or having stool incontinence or, you know, like all of these issues that the older generation has. It's like, maybe we need to stay, take a step back and like, think about this post-birth, yeah. you know? No, it really starts with education. And yeah. I think when people get pregnant, they're so focused on learning everything there is to know about yeah. like the baby and breastfeeding Yeah, and they don't pay any attention to what their body is actually going to go through and yeah. how to kind of rehab that my husband's a urologist. So he's the one that mm. sees, you know, people that have issues later in life and yeah. need surgery or yeah. So huge topic. I love the topic of pelvic floor physio. Never Same. thought I would, but I, here I, I am. I, no, I think it's the kind of thing that like, once you know about it and once you experience it, you're like, everybody needs to know this. Yes. This is great information. This is so helpful because it just, I mean, it impacts your culinary your health, yeah. your, yes, your sexual health. Like there's so much. And I, another thing with pelvic, while we're on the subject of pelvic floor, another thing with that is if you're having urinary incontinence after you have, after you have a baby or you're having pain with sex, or you're having this bulge that you think is like, there's all these things that people talk about that they say that, oh, this is normal, normal common. There's a difference between it being like common and it being normal. Yes. Right. With a lot of what I do in my teaching that I'm trying to change the narrative of like, just because it's common that a lot of people experience this, that, and the other doesn't mean that it's like a normal occurrence. Yeah, for sure. So. Okay. Next up is something that's going to be fun. So I went through because a lot of your posts on Instagram talk about myths and then yeah. like you post the myth and then you have the fact. So I went through yeah. and I found some that would be fun to chat about. The first one is you can't take hot baths during pregnancy. And this one, like I love a hot bath and I, <laughs> I never know. had a hot bath. I just had like lukewarm yeah. stupid baths when I was pregnant. So yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and why that is a myth? Yeah. So that is a myth, myth that you can, you can still take a hot bath. You don't have to sit in lukewarm or cold water. If you want to bathe yourself, <laughs> um, the reason behind why that one has been circling around as like a myth is because if you're in, let's say a hot tub, it's still not recommended to have be in a hot tub when you're pregnant because that water temperature stays at like a constant. Mm. So if your hot tub isn't that hot, it's okay. If it's body temperature or less, it's okay. But that hot tub stays at a high temperature, a bath. If you get into a bath, even if it's a pretty hot bath, eventually it's going to cool down. It's going to get to your body temperature or lower and it's completely fine. But if you're in like a pool of water, that's why saunas can be dangerous as well, because a sauna is like a constant high, high temperature. Um, it can just raise your internal temperature and that can be dangerous for baby. Um, that's really the reason being, and with like just taking a hot bath, that water temperature is going to lower and it's not, there's really no risk of it raising your internal body temperature because the water is just, the water temperature is just going to decrease. So yeah, hot baths are totally fine. What I tell people is there's always a disclaimer of like, if you get into a hot bath, some people like me 
I like really, really steaming, really ridiculously hot baths where Same. it's like my skin is red. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I think that's like a woman thing. That's what, <laughs> that's what I've come to conclude. My husband's like, you're going to hurt yourself. I'm like, it's yeah. not enjoyable any other way. I need to be burned when I get yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, same, same. I'm the same. My disclaimer is if you get into a really hot bath and you are having symptoms, like you're starting to get dizzy or you're starting to really sweat or you're not feeling so well, or you're starting to get nauseous, then get out yeah. <laughs> or call for help and get out. But if you get into a bath and you're comfortable, everything's fine. You're not feeling odd at all. Enjoy your bath. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> I wish I knew that before. Yeah. <laughs> So the next one is be quiet. Baby is sleeping. And I love this one because we did not follow this rule. And well, we <laughs> yeah. couldn't really, cause we have two dogs that bark a lot. Yeah. And we yeah. were shocked because Milo would sleep in his bassinet right in the living room. And someone would come yeah. to the front door. The dogs would be barking like crazy. And Milo, yeah. like not even bothered. Nope, just they don't dead asleep. Yeah. So that one is a myth that you have to be really quiet, you know, around a newborn baby because they're just going to wake up at anything. No, that is absolutely a myth. If you think about when they came out of, so your body is actually a pretty loud place because you've got your blood flow, you're talking, the people around you are talking, Ooh. you're in your world. Like there's just environmental sounds. It's not like it's a, I mean, it's somewhat muffled in there, obviously, but your blood flow is actually pretty loud. Yeah. So when baby's born, you actually want to be pretty loud so that your baby doesn't get used to silence. Silence. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Don't worry about the dogs barking or the doorbell ringing. Just kind of leave your baby out in the, in the living. Like you said, like you just said, leave your baby out in the living room in the bassinet. It's fine. You don't have to pack them away in like a super quiet space. Now, as they get older, it might be an issue like, at, you know, three, four months or so they start to wake up that, Oh, like I'm a baby and I, I need like kind of more of a quiet concentrated area to sleep. So that's when I like to tell people, you know, white noise is really, really great. Mm -hmm. A good white noise machine. We did white, white noise from the beginning. Same. Um, I still, I still sleep with the one. Like my mom never, I sleep with two. Yeah. <laughs> like I like me some white noise, especially newborn babies. You can be loud. You can talk. You don't have to you know, be hush hush around the baby. They're not gonna, it's going to be better for them if you're not in the yeah. long run. And for you, less anxiety, yeah. you know, trying yes. to keep the environment quiet. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year. And we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. 
This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. Something yes. that you said. So when they're in the womb, it makes me think of, you know, if you're laying your head on your husband's stomach and yeah. like their stomach starts gurgling the sounds it's so yeah. loud and they're yeah. right in there. So yep. same thing. Yeah. Yep. Number three, fundal rubs are like massages. And so I just have to say everyone complains about <laughs> these little massage things that nurses yeah. do after you deliver. I, for the life of me, cannot even remember having them done. Like I, people are like, that was the most painful part of the experience for me. And I have no recollection. I don't think it hurt me at all, but yeah. So what are those and what are they looking for? Yeah. Yeah. So fundal rubs, that is a myth that they are like massages and that (laughs) they are like nice and relaxing. They're not, that's the myth part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, fundal rubs are basically what we're doing as nurses afterwards, one of the big things that we're looking for is your bleeding afterwards, especially in the first couple hours after you have a baby, you're at the highest risk of having a postpartum hemorrhage. So the reason why we do fundal rubs is we're just checking on that top part of the uterus and making sure that it's first of all, in the middle of your abdomen, it's not shifted over to one side. Um, you know, it's right in the middle. And I'm, so I'm feeling where it is located. And then I'm also feeling how hard it is. So we want it to be contracting back down. So your uterus is like a big, big muscle that gets really, really stretched out when a baby's inside of it. And then when the baby comes, comes out, it has to contract back down to normal size. And if it doesn't, if it's what we call boggy, if it's kind of just like not contracting, (laughs) yeah, hanging out, um, then, you know, everything is kind of a little bit more dilated and your, your blood vessels are a little bit more dilated and you can bleed more. So we want it to be doing its job of contracting. So that's really primarily what the funnel rubs are assessing is that it's in the right place in your stomach, because if it's shifted over to one side, maybe that means that your bladder is getting kind of big, um, you know, your bladder's filling up and it's not going to be able to contract effectively. So making sure it's in the middle and then it's also nice and hard, especially when I'm pressing on it. Then usually when I'm pressing, you will have like a little bit of blood flow that comes out of your vagina. And then I'm also seeing what comes out. So Mm. if you, if I'm pressing and I'm seeing like a whole bunch of like big clots come out, then I say, "Mm, maybe something's not right in there. Um, but if I'm pressing and I just see a little bit come out or I see, you know, really nothing come out, then it's okay. So that's the reason we do that to key us in. If you're starting to get in that postpartum hemorrhage criteria, because that's a big, big issue. I mean, a lot of people, people still die from bleeding after childbirth, but a lot more people die back in the day. So that's really the main reason that we do them. Forget was the, what was the caveat to that? Everybody, oh, you saying that you don't remember them. So yeah, I would say some people 
some people are like, jump back. Oh my God, these are awful. I can't stand this. This is like the worst thing ever. Um, some people I think don't mind them. Did you have an epidural with your yeah. birth? Okay. Oh, so, maybe I was still frozen. Yeah. So maybe you were just like a little bit, a little, like still a little bit numb. Some nurses aren't like, if I check you really our protocol, most protocols are here in the United States, at least most protocols are, um, you do them every 15 minutes for the first couple hours. Just make sure, you know, you're okay overseas in other countries. It's different. So you might have had just a few and you don't really remember, or you might've had one or two right after birth. And your nurse was like, she's okay. You know, not going to check her again. You're not having any excess bleeding. I would say it just kind of depends on the practice here. Like our practice, we're pretty strict on, on checking. So. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. The next one is sleeping on your back while pregnant is super dangerous. Yeah. So that can be dangerous, but it's not always dangerous. So what I tell people with that one is you have big blood vessels. Everybody has big blood vessels that run down your back. Okay. And when you get really big, heavy pregnant in your third trimester, your uterus is really, really heavy and it can put pressure on those blood vessels and shunt blood away from your vital organs that cause everything in your body to work like your heart and your lungs and your brain. Okay. Um, so that's why It has been said that you can't sleep on your back because your uterus will get too heavy. It will compress those vessels and, you know, it can be your blood pressure can go down. You can have issues with that said, that certainly can happen if you're in your third, especially in your third, third trimester. And that can be not only dangerous for you, but it can be dangerous for baby because it's not only shunting blood blood away from your heart and your lungs and your, you know, your body parts, but it's shunting blood away from baby, away from your placenta. Um, so that can be dangerous, but that said, what I tell people is when you're sleeping, most people, when they're pregnant, they don't like sleeping on their backs. They're usually Mm -hmm. sleeping on their sides with a pillow. Um, so if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're on your back, just roll over. Don't freak out that, oh my gosh, I've been on my back forever. Like, is my baby okay? Oh my God. Typically what's going to happen is you are going to start to have symptoms. Like you're going to start to feel lightheaded or you're going to start to feel nauseous or dizzy. If you're in that category of like your uterus is pressing on those blood vessels, it's causing your blood pressure to decrease. You're going to start having other physical symptoms. That's just your body naturally does that to like let you know something's going on. Okay. So if you wake up and you're not having any of those symptoms, like you're 99.9% of the time, fine. Nothing's, nothing's an issue. Now there are definitely patients that I've had who are like, I can't sleep on my back. I can't lay on my back. I feel short of breath or I feel, I start to feel dizzy then. Yeah, absolutely. Not a good idea, but I, I don't want people to look at that or take that advice and say, and be scared when they Panic. wake up and they're, yeah. yeah. And they're on their back, just roll over. What my provider said is like, if you wake up in the middle of the, of the night after being on your side and you're on your back, it's probably your body's just natural way of saying, okay, it's about time to roll on your side. So. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. So next one is a good one. So everybody yeah. <laughs> poops when they push to yeah. give birth. Let's clarify that to give birth. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, so many, (laughs) yeah, that's not a myth. (laughs) 
<laughs> but everybody, everybody poops when they push to have a baby. That is a myth. I would say that probably for having a vaginal delivery, probably 60, 70% of people poop at least like a little bit. Not everybody does poop at least a little bit, but it's not like you're pooping a whole poop. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like just say that the nicest way. It's not like you're just, there's a whole, everything's coming out. Okay. It's usually if you're, if I have a patient and she's pooping while she's pushing, first of all, that's a really good thing because she's yeah. pushing in the right way. Okay. And second of all, it's just going to happen because if you think about the physiology of, or the anatomy of it, baby's head, your vagina is here your rectum's here. Okay. You got a big old baby head inside your vagina and it's just pushing, you know, a bunch of pressure on that rectum as it's coming out. So anything in that rectum is going to get squished and it's going to come on out. Okay. So that's really the answer (laughs) of that. Like if you have anything in there, it's going to come out. If you don't, then, you know, you're not going to poop at all, but I would say, you know, 60 or 70, percent of the time you have at least a little bit of poop in your rectum and yeah, it just comes out. And we, you know what, we just, we don't even bat an eye at it. No, I've heard it like, like most people that are in the room and the woman who's pushing, like, you don't even know, like they just take it away and it's fine. So I, just because I'm an anxious person, I probably got rid of all my poop before we went to the hospital (laughs) to be, and a lot of people do that. Or if you don't get a noose and you go into labor yourself, you, your body sometimes does it, your, does it in the, in the day or in the day before, or in early labor, you know, you have like those similar kind of poop kind of cramps that you get when you're, yeah. when you're on your period. A lot of people are familiar with like that sensation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very common for your body just to kind of like naturally flush whatever, whatever's in there out. <laughs> yeah. The first time I pushed, like when they were like, okay, like we're good to push my very first push, I peed on the doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. That's another thing that it's, you know, your vagina's right next to, yeah. <laughs> right next to both ends. So, you know, yeah. one, like, one's going to come out or the other. Usually. Sorry. <laughs> <sighs> so, okay. Next one is running during pregnancy is dangerous. Yeah. So that is a myth. It can be not such a good thing to do if you've never been a runner before at all in your life. And you're trying to like take up running when you're pregnant, maybe not such a great idea, but what I tell people about this one is if you are a runner and you enjoy running, continue to run as long as you feel fit feels good. and you feel it feels good. Right now with that said, my pelvic floor physical therapist also says, Hey, just There's been some conflicting literature of whether it's an okay thing to do in terms of like your pelvic, thinking about your pelvic floor, Mm -hmm. especially after you've given birth. I was a, not a big runner, but you know, before I had my first one, I ran a few, I ran a few half marathon in my days and I was doing some running. Yeah. So like, I'm like, Hey, you know what? I want to get back into it. My pelvic floor person was like, yeah, you know, it's been conflicting. You can try it, but just be aware that, you know, you might have to kind of take it slow. She said within the first six months after giving birth, it just, for sure, just, you know, know that about your public pelvic floor, but it's not, I would say dangerous. If you're pregnant, it's not dangerous for baby. Um, especially if you've been a runner in your past and you want to continue running, there's no need to completely stop running. Absolutely yeah. not. It's going to be, it's, it's great. You know, you want to get exercise for sure when you're pregnant. 
Yeah. Okay. So you will know if your water breaks, which I'm sure people that haven't had their water broken assume this because of movies and what we see on TV, right? Like this big dramatic, like gush. Yeah. What mine was broken by the the nurse in the hot or the doctor in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So what does it typically look like if someone's just at home and it breaks? Yeah. So same, same as you, mine was broken both times by my, by my provider. And I remember it very vividly, but with that said, this is a myth because there are certain instances when your water will break and it will be dramatic. Okay. So you know that it's okay. My water just broke a bunch of, it's all over the floor. It's gushing (laughs) out. It's not pee. It doesn't smell like pee, but there are instances where you can have what's called a high leak. So instead of it busting at the bottom, it kind of busts at the top and you can Mm -hmm. kind of like slowly leak out and yeah, it can be very confusing. Uh, is this vaginal discharge? Is this me peeing my pants? There's a whole lot of pressure going on down here. I don't, I don't know what's, you know, like (laughs) what this is. Um, so yeah, I would say probably half, maybe a less 30% of people who come in and their complaint is that I broke my water. They're not sure. They're like, I think I broke my water, but I'm not really sure. And what I tell people with this is if you're ever in that category, regardless of what week of pregnancy you're in, if you're preterm or if you're term, come on in either to the hospital or to your provider, because there's a few tests that they do. And it's very, very simple to figure out if your water has broken or not. Um, And it can be dangerous if you break your water early in pregnancy and you don't know it. And then, you know, can lead to things like infection. So we definitely want to be mindful of getting that checked out. Um, this was interesting. I saw a post on your Instagram about breast milk and all the different yeah. colors that it can be. So the myth is that breast milk should be white. Yeah. Most breast milk is some shade of white. I think the post that I'm thinking of that you probably looked at, it was like a rainbow yeah. of, <laughs> of uh, colors. Yeah. Breast milk. There's a lot of different colors that it can kind of tint. So let's give the example of if you're first producing milk and it's just your colostrum, that is more of like a yellow, a very yellowy yellow milk. Um, cause it's got a lot of antibodies in it. And as you're transitioning to like your mature milk, it's going to get more white, but sometimes what I've actually seen is if you get an illness or if you're around someone who has an illness, your body actually will um, produce milk that is a little bit more of a, like a yellow kind of tinge um, because it's like your body recognizes that it needs to protect your baby a little bit more with these antibodies, which is kind of a cool thing that your body does. Um, So that's like yellow. And then sometimes if you are really, really full, uh, you can produce milk. That's like a, like a bluish kind of tint tint. And that's really more if it's like a if it's a thinner consistency, it, it typically is a, a little bit bluer in, in color. Um, let me think red. Sometimes you can have red blood into, mm. in your milk. And that's typically because not from the actual milk, but from nipple damage. So if you're having cracked or bleeding nipples and that is safe to give to baby. Okay. Unless you're HIV, HIV positive, that's really the only contraindication. Breast milk can definitely be red, especially in those early days for having cracked or bleeding nipples. Um, that blood can get into the milk and perfectly fine for baby. 
with that said, if you're having cracked or bleeding nipples, see a lactation consultant because they can help you out with that. That's no yeah. fun at all. Let me think. I think the other color was like green. Some things that you ingest uh, can turn your breast milk green. I think I shared, she was vegan. I'm not saying all vegans are going to produce like <laughs> green lime milk. green. Yeah. Lime <laughs> green milk, but she was vegan. Um, and I'm sure she had some sort of additional special diet and she shared a picture of her green breast breast milk. So yeah, some things that you eat can turn your breast milk green. Um, I've also heard like orangey kind of can, can translate into breast milk from the things that you eat. And I think the last one was like blackish Brown. And that's just also from typically bleeding, um, like old blood can turn yeah. it, can turn it kind of like a blackish Brown kind of color, but yeah, all these different rainbow colors. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Where like, I'm sure if people didn't know that it would be alarming, to... alarming. Yes. Yeah. And you'd be like, I'm not giving them this, but yeah, yeah so it's good yeah. to know. Yeah. Um, okay. So two more. So the second last one is that morning sickness happens in the morning. And yeah. we, like, if you've been pregnant, you know, that this is not true, but in my mind, I'm like, why do we call it morning? Why do we still sickness? call it? Yeah. Ugh, I know. Yeah, no, that's, you know, why, why they no, called it that? I think it's no. just, I think it's just, that's just what we've always called it. And that's what we're just going to continue to call it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it should just be called pregnancy yeah. sickness. Yeah. Like <laughs> death. Hatefulness. Yeah. Like it's suckiness. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's what it is. Um, yeah. So morning sickness is not, doesn't absolutely doesn't always happen in the morning. I've actually, I would argue that probably more people experience it in the evening times, um, from the people that patients that I've talked to, um, that can, it can really strike you, but yeah, unfortunately it's not just in the morning. It can be all day. It can be in the middle of the night, wake you up. It can be just, yeah, it's not fun. This is not fun in that first trimester. Some people have it, you know, longer than their first trimester, but for sure. Have you seen the, the documentary that Amy Schumer put out about her pregnancy? I haven't. I I know that she, I haven't, I haven't seen her documentary, but I do know her story of her having hyperemesis. And yeah, that's, that's a whole nother can of worms. Cause that's, that's sickness, but that's like a special breed of yeah, like serious illness. Yeah. 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 Highly recommend. It's very good. Yeah. Um, okay. So last one, which I knew nothing about, but I saw on your Instagram was you shouldn't worry about itchy palms or feet or your body during pregnancy. And you talked about something called cholestasis. So what, what yeah. is that? So cholestasis is it's a disorder from your liver. Okay. So basically your liver, when you have cholestasis, you give off these things called bile salts and they can accumulate like on your skin. And it typically happens on your palms or on your feet, but a lot of times you can be itchy kind of all over, but we primarily see it when people are really, really itchy on their palms and really, really itchy on their feet. So that's why we say, look for those symptoms. Um, but yeah, it's just these bile salts and it can be dangerous for baby. Um, you just, you have a higher likelihood of having like a stillbirth or a preterm birth if you have cholestasis. So we just want to know if you're having these symptoms. So we watch out because with most patients, they're going to want to induce you a little bit early. So 37, 38 weeks, if you're having cholestasis, because it comes to a point of like, it's 
less risky to induce you at this week because your risk of stillbirth, you know, goes up Mm. after this week of pregnancy. So that's why I always say that that is something that a lot of people don't realize is one of those, like, okay, you want to make sure you tell your provider if you're ever bleeding, if you're at, you know, if you ever have, you know, contraction pain before your term, if you feel like your water's broken, if your baby's not moving around as normal. And if you're having like really itchy palms or really Mm -hmm. itchy feet, that is definitely something that you need to mention. Cause yeah. it's, again, it's a very easy blood test that we do to determine like what your values are. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> so to end, I just yeah. thought you could tell us like where people can find you about your podcast. Um, and if you have any projects that you're working on right now or anything that we can look out for. Yeah. So I am mommy labor nurse over at mommylabornurse.com. I have my courses, um, on that, on my website. And then my podcast is just the mommy labor nurse podcast. You can search it on Spotify or Apple or any of the, any of the ones it's on. Um, and yeah, we do birth stories. We do have experts come on. We do expert interviews. Um, I do Q and A's on there. We have 60 some episodes. It's a, it's a cool little, little database. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, got my podcast and the courses right now we have a natural uh, birth course for somebody who's looking to go a little bit more natural. We have an epidural one. Um, and then we have a newborn, it's called newborn basics 101, which is like a newborn care class. So those are classes that we have right now. We are working on some new courses this year that are going to come out. I can't give any like crazy, crazy spoilers, but yeah, definitely more courses this year to come. Um, trying to think of like other, we're always, I feel like working on stuff. <laughs> follow my TikTok. Yes. <laughs> follow my TikTok and mommy labor nurse on TikTok. That is also what I'm going to be working on this year is like, just having fun on TikTok. So I support that endeavor. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. Yeah. That's me. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. Super excited for this episode to go out. Um, so yeah, thanks so much. It was nice to meet you virtually. It was nice to meet you virtually. Thank you so much for having me. And I'll see you on TikTok. Yes. (laughs) We can direct message each other now because we follow each other. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Love it. All right. Have a good day. (laughs) You too. Bye, Renee. 